I'm a very critical scholar, but I'm also a very hopeful, optimistic scholar. Because if we lose the optimism, if we lose the hope, um, they win when you think about it. Um, and so I'm always in a space of what can we do further? And so I use, I, I intentionally used the word wandering because that's exactly what I did for a full month in Europe. Um, and when I wandered, I felt like I learned. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joining the faculty who led the recent ACPA Faculty Racial Justice and Decolonization Institute. I'm excited to learn about their experience planning, leading, and the participants' experience with the Institute. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm recording today's episode from my home in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota in the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. We have folks here who uh, have planned, orchestrated, uh, and then recently led this institute. I'm so excited to hear from each of you about that experience uh, and help share the learning with folks who weren't able to attend. Let's uh, let's meet each of you. And uh, Q, we're gonna start with you. Tell us a little bit more about you. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening for folks at the time of the recording when you're viewing this recording. Uh, my name is Courtney Hutchings. Uh, you should go by Q, uh, pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm an assistant professor of higher education at Northern Illinois University um, in DeKalb, Illinois. Um, a little bit about my connections to this work. Um, as an early career faculty member, I just finished my second year as a faculty member um, at NIU and uh, have taught some courses primarily on curriculum pedagogy and really wanted to really dive a little bit deeper and kind of get into a uh, curriculum pedagogy bag, if you will. And this felt like a really great opportunity to really work with some uh, phenomenal colleagues. And so that was uh, one of the reasons why I decided to get started and get joined apart this uh, community. Awesome. And we also have Layla, who is just with us on a conversation about labor acknowledgement. So glad to have you back with us. Tell us all a little bit more about you. Awesome. Thanks again. My name is Layla McLeod. I use she and her pronouns. And I'm assistant professor of higher education at Grand Valley State University, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, my interest in working with this institute is really my own uh, research and experiences with ungrading and HESA classrooms and just really wanting to expand the conversation about the scholarship of teaching and learning within our field. Terrific. And Rick's joining us too. Tell us more about you, Rick. Greetings, everyone. Hola, buenos dias. Uh, my name is Ricardo Montalongo. Please call me Rick. And my pronouns are he, him, his, el. And I'm an associate professor in educational leadership at Sam Houston State University. And I teach primarily in our higher education masters and doctoral programs. Uh, my connection to the Institute largely uh, aligns with my research interests and my general interests in student affairs administration, especially experiences of 
Latinx, Latino, Latina professionals in the field. Um, but I also think it's important that I am also interested in what's called critical digital pedagogy. I am an online instructor. And so I wanted to bring some of that experience in the lens of this institute. Wonderful. Glad to have you here. And Erica. Hello, my name is Erica Rowland. I am a assistant professor at the University of Texas at Arlington in our Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Studies. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this, I'm really passionate about um, teaching, more so coaching, and, and what does that look like, um, not only in a classroom, but what does that look like for advising um, also, um, moving students through this dissertation phase, those kind of things. So for me, it, it's an opportunity. It was an opportunity just really to sit with other folks to really think about how do we do this work? Because we don't often get the space to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also for, um, we're missing, um, Michael Williams, who's also part of this. Um, he is an assistant professor at the University of Missouri in their Department of Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis. Um, a lot of his work focuses on mentorship, socialization. Um, so he's been instrumental and really big part of our team. Yeah, thanks for introducing yourself and uh, honoring Michael as well. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I'm really excited to, to learn from all of you as you planned and organized and deep dive, and I'm sure had powerful conversations with each other and then work with the participants and then learn from that experience. We kind of get to, to distill all of that hard work and time and thought and everything and, and all the other things you do um, and share with folks. Uh, I just want to begin with, how did the Institute come to be? Tell us a little bit about how that happened. Um, I think Layla, you're going to lead us here. Sure. So ACPA released the, the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization was that 2019? Gosh. So, you know, and lots of folks have had conversations or questions about, okay, what does this framework look like in practice? And so about three years ago, the ACPA Foundation Board of Trustees voted to give, you know, ACPA a grant to have a conversation about how faculty can infuse um, the, the imperative in our teaching. So obviously we were all impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So that kind of put the Institute on pause, but a call went out the fall. So last fall, um, inviting ACPA members to serve on the faculty, the inaugural faculty for the Institute. Um, we applied and were selected and started the conversation about what would it look like to create an Institute centering this uh imperative and then erica can yeah i i think um in our planning of course we looked at um what the foundation kind of wanted us to cover but for the most part we really tried to be intentional and really think of ways to push pedagogy and teaching um in higher ed student affairs and so we had to have some intentional conversations about what exactly um, are we talking about? Are we going to talk about kind of the social political times? Are we going to talk about student relationships? Are we going to talk about teaching and learning or content? And so we spent a lot of time really trying to understand where the content was. But for the most part, we wanted to be intentional about providing experience where folks can build relationships because mm -hmm. we believe in order to be anti um 
to be um to enact racial equity and decolonization first you have to start with some relationships and also this idea that oftentimes we teach in silos mm -hmm. so it's really nice to know that other people are thinking about this and so we really try to plan a community-based conversation dialogue um intentional um uh, found, uh institute right um and try to model some of the some some of some of our pedagogical approaches Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, kudos to all of you for the courage to be faculty for an institute for faculty. I mean, that's, that's usually a not it. I'd prefer someone else do that. So thanks to all of you uh, for applying and wanting to, to do this task of, of being faculty for other faculty. Um, I love the intentionality going into this. What was the experience of the institute like for the participants? And for you, um, Q, what was it like for, for the participants and for you? Yeah, I, one of the things I think I'm thinking about uh, as this happened uh, last week, um, mm -hmm. it's kind of really fresh in, fresh in my mind and my heart. Um, it was just, to me, felt like just a phenomenal experience. I, I think at first, you know, it felt like the first day of school at first when some folks know each other, some folks don't know each other. But I think that at the heart of it, uh, people really came in from a space of curiosity and engagement. Um, one of the things that I thought that was really beautiful is that we separated each of the days based off of the different tenets of the strategic imperative. Um, talking about critical consciousness the first day um, and talking about things such as ungrading and other ways of how we engage in that work. Um, we also talked about humanization and radical democracy um, on the second day. And throughout the time, I think for me, it felt like I was just among a community of people that also just loved teaching and wanted mm -hmm. to deepen their teaching and pedagogy, like really in ways that folks were sharing information. It felt like, as I called it, like a curriculum cipher, mm -hmm. like it felt like folks were just dropping knowledge about how do they engage in the classroom in these ways from a community college perspective. There were folks who worked in first, first year, uh, first year experience. There were folks who worked mm -hmm. in higher ed. There were folks that worked in different fields of education. And I think that that created um, such a perfect blend of how do we talk about the work through the strategic imperative lens. I think that's so great because I think uh, faculty, as, as Eric mentioned, faculty life can, can be so siloed, right? You teach by yourself, you're in community with the students, but you don't know, am I doing, is that similar to what other people are doing? Does someone have a great idea yeah. that I've never even heard about? And so sharing community connection, sharing tools and approaches and strategies sounds uh, super fun. Uh, Rick, what about you? What was, um, what was the experience like for you? It was... A fantastic experience and you know looking at the participants that were part of the institute you couldn't ask for a better group of participants especially for an inaugural event mm -hmm. and i think for me i think it was uh really a part of me was a little uncertain like what is this going to look like in the end and looking back it's like for an inaugural event you can only imagine what next year's event would be and a large part of that was exactly what Q is describing, um, a lot of community relationship building. But I also would add, you know, I think a lot of our participants came with um, the comfortableness of sharing, like, I guess some of the vulnerability, but also like, I'm, you know, I want to try something. What are your thoughts about it through the lens of the strategic imperative? 
And being in that space where there was a lot of validation um, was, I think for me, made the event impactful. And and I will say that, you know, working with the faculty team, even amongst ourselves, we learned a lot from each other. Um, they learned my nickname is Papa. <laughs> and so there's a meaning behind that. And, um, and I think our relationship building as faculty only made the experience richer for the participants. And I think something like this um, is needed. You know, you mentioned teaching faculty. Well, a lot of us self-identified the states that we originate from. You know, I'm in Texas. We have some participants from Florida. And so we all know how diversity issues and initiatives, especially teaching, are being discussed. And so being in that space where it's safe to talk and to feel validated on your emotions and experiences, I think for me made the whole inaugural Institute really rewarding. I love that bringing in uh, to the community and the connection and the sharing, but then also what's what's the process like, the vulnerability, the emotional aspects. Uh, again, things that don't always go so well at faculty meetings or department meetings, and then you're off to the races to do all the things that you're doing. Erica and Layla, do you want to add what it was like for you and, or for the participants? Sure. I would say one of the things to go back to Erica's early earlier point about the intentionality behind it was giving folks space to actually try out these ideas or talk them out um, and to have the Institute faculty like we were going around the room to kind of, you know, help folks just talk their ideas out loud. And as y'all, as we've kind of mentioned before, a lot of times we don't have the time to do that. Right. We're throwing a syllabus. We're throwing a course. And we're just trying to stay a week or two ahead of the students. So to have this time to be intentional about, you know, why do I have so many assignments? What do I want students to know, think, or do? Um, is there a better way to measure how students are learning? But also, I think a really powerful conversation we had was, who are you as an instructor? And then how do you communicate that to students you know, in your courses, the way that you design them, the readings that you select, the activities or assign, you know, all of these things are shaped by how we understand our roles. Another thing that I thought was really great for our community there was we had folks from higher ed and not from higher ed, right? We had mm. folks from uh, community colleges, four-year yeah. institutions from around the U.S. and Canada. So the fact that we were able to attract for our inaugural event, as Rick said, folks from all over different institution types. Some folks only taught undergraduate students. Some folks taught, you know, master's level or doctor level students. So being able to hear, um, and there are even some doc students who haven't taught yet, right? So mm -hmm. just being able to have that space of diversity of ideas and the intergenerational conversations that happen, mm -hmm. I think is really important um, for us to think about how that influences the work that we're doing in the classroom. So the energy was just great. Again, shout out to the ACPA Foundation for their generous support of this, yes. because I think when you're able to fully be present in that space, um, a lot of beautiful things can happen. So I would say it was overall just a really great experience. And I would add, I have a unique situation where I was not on site. So I felt like the big brother trying to figure out like, what's happening? Can y'all give me a play by play? But my colleagues on the on the Zoom here, they were busy uh, facilitating. Um, but one of the things I thought was very interesting that I don't know my colleagues know that some of the um, some of the participants, I would check in with them after the event and see what happens. And so this idea that what they were learning, it was transformative in that moment. 
but how are we communicating what they learned and what they're thinking about beyond just the people that were there, right? And so mm -hmm. it was nice to be able to talk to some of the participants and say, so like, how was it? What was the experience? Um, and to hear from their perspective as a person that could not be there, I think that's even more um, transformative for me because it's like, we planned a great institute. We had an experience, but we still don't know the magnitude of what happened in that space, how it will impact other people and other um, ways of teaching and learning in higher ed. And so, um, and that participants are willing to share and that's always a good situation. So as a person on the outside for the onsite, um, mm -hmm. we're really figuring out how learning can go beyond just the in-person um, experience. I love that. I think the trickle of this is powerful from the faculty who attended to their students, to their colleagues who they're going to share ideas with, to then the faculty that they will mentor as doc students and things. And who then, you know, you can really sort of see this spreading out. And as Rick's drawing our attention, sounds like this won't be the only institute, the inaugural one. There'll be future ones. And what you all did hopefully gets built upon and made even better in the future. And this conversation opportunity to uh, expand that impact as well. So I'd love to hear from each of you. Uh, what did you learn from the process? I mean, you were faculty, you were leading, you were guiding, but it sounds like you were very much participants as well, engaged in the self-work, engaged in the community and relationships, and engaged in the sharing of experiences and pedagogy. Um, what did you take from the process that you're eager to bring to your own roles? teaching, researching, mentoring, leading. Um, Rick, uh, you get to, or Layla, you get to kick us off here. Um, what did you learn that you want to bring to your own faculty role? One, that my colleagues are absolutely brilliant. I think Rick said <laughs> earlier also that like we learned so much from each other. Like we were literally just taking so many notes. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is, is how do I get my students to connect to continue to connect outside of the classroom, right? So a lot of times we're focused on what's happening in that three hour time block or whatever, but how can I give um, not additional homework, but give additional guides or um, ways that students can further make connections um, with the material. One thing that keeps coming up for me as someone who teaches in a, you know, a master's only uh, HESA program, is there's such a disconnect between sometimes what I'm teaching and what students are seeing in their assistantships or practicums. So how can we strengthen that relationship? And so a lot of the conversations, small group conversations that I was a part of talked about that disconnect. And that's something that also ties to my own research and that how are we really um, promoting a better integration of theory and practice? Like we say it all the time, we market our programs this way, but as we're seeing, um, you know, declines in enrollment or people being frustrated about student affairs as a profession, all of this makes me think about how can we close those gaps? So that's something I'm taking away for sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Rick, what did you take away? Um, you know, at the Institute, the, the component of the strategic imperative that I discussed with the Institute members and with my colleagues was radical democracy. And so, the way I tried to explain it was looking at how, you know, the words and dissecting the words that create that particular component, because, you know, obviously there can be some reactions on just reading those words. Um, 
to those unfamiliar with the imperative. And so recently I did a pilgrimage in the Camino de Santiago. And, and I think mm. some of your viewers and some of you on the screen are aware of what the Camino de Santiago is. And so I, I long... But, but tell us a little bit more for folks who aren't. Just give us a okay, little bit. Uh, the Camino de Santiago recently, since the especially since the 1980s, has seen a, a, a rise in popularity, especially amongst popular culture, um, as a meaning-making experience. And... Uh, there are many routes that are part of this pilgrimage, but the most popular goes from the border of France and Spain and transverses um, Spain to um, a city, Santiago de Compostela. Uh, it is a pilgrimage, um, but like I said, it has become very popular as either an adventure, a hiking adventure, or I think from my interactions, people start as an adventure, but end up making it a meaning-making experience. Wow. And so going back to the Institute, you know, since the experience was so recent, uh, the Institute occurred two weeks after my wow. Camino experience. Um, I'm so glad I was able to talk about radical democracy because, you know, the, the Institute or excuse me, the imperative talks about the worlds we want to create that are centered on love. Um, I was able to experience a world where love is the core. You just happen to, you just have to walk 500 miles to understand what love means. And, and yes, it does hurt uh, physically, but it really reminded me that, uh, and what I saw at the Institute was the imperative is all about creating community. We, you know, it's used in different ways in terms of practice, but for the Institute, we focused on teaching. And so how do you create community and teaching? Um, the only way you can create community and relationships is by conversing with people, right? Once you make a, com a conversation, then you start learning about the person or persons. And so that's what I I, I I know I was kind of rushing through my part, but I really want to use the imperative to focus on like, to create that community, all it begins is saying hello to someone. And, and I learned that from doing this meaning making experience called the Camino. And wouldn't you know, at the inaugural institute, I saw that, like, it just began with, you sat on a table, you said hello, and by an hour later, you're sharing ideas, you're laughing, uh, you're talking to us, the faculty members. And so, uh, you know, I'll end with this, because I did disclose, I think amongst my colleagues here, I, I have a more seasoned lens. I've been in the profession since the early 90s. And, and I brought that knowledge to really think about like the transformations that ACPA has gone through. And, and for me, you know, I think it was Layla mentioned the intergenerational conversations. Uh, that's very important. You know, uh, as a Gen Xer, seeing the new generation um, transforming higher ed, I think they need to learn from the mm -hmm. seasoned professionals and vice versa. And, and what better way to to do that through teaching ideas, seeing people who are interested in tenure track faculty positions or just teaching in general mm -hmm. and, and supporting each other. And so I, you know, I just thought the world we create, radical democracy, conversations, community building, and then after that, making sure we're all supported. I love that. You got, you know, we talk about love as a strategy and the imperative certainly talks about that. And that can feel sort of soft or or passive yeah. or, or permissive 
Um, I love you. You walk 500 miles to find out what love really is, well, right? Love is yeah, difficult. Well, it's I've, I've, walked, I've walked 168 miles. I didn't do the whole commute. Okay. That's enough. That was enough. enough. That's enough to find out what love is. That is, is. enough. Invite, invite he, me he over like, for no, another uh-uh. conversation. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a, but it was enough to interact really mm-hmm. intentionally and intensively with some tough, some folks that just made a huge impact on right. my life. And, and strangers. And I think it, it points to love as a robust, challenging, difficult um, thing and really engaging that around yeah. issues of racial justice, around decolonization, around equity broadly, and really bringing that focus. It's it's an easy thing to say. It's a much harder thing to do. It's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to well, critique, but it's it's a much harder thing to actually do. And, and it's the core of the strategic imperative. I mean, it all revolves around love. And and I think when I even looked at the the graphic for the strategic imperative, um, you know, it's a dynamic uh, chart, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the center of it never moves. And that center mm-hmm. is love. And, I, and I've been really mm-hmm. focusing in on that, um, want to continue to explore that. And again, just for me personally, I had the privilege and the opportunity to do a meaning-making experience and and it's provided provided me some profound lessons that I just want to keep talking to my colleagues about and because I'm still processing it to be quite honest and sure. and the imperative just I mean the institute just happened at the right moment. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. I wish that I wish that graphic could move. Uh, I wish that graphic w- could be, you know, we could get a GIF and get it in motion and to, to sort of reveal that dynamicness. I think maybe someone with skills can help us. Uh, Erica, let's build on this. Uh, so talking about love and new generation. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I took from the Institute is how to uh, organize and think with faculty. Because mm-hmm. uh, any other time that I've done work with faculty around curriculum is like, hold on a second y'all know how to follow directions <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, everybody start doing their own thing and you're just like wait stay on task um and so oftentimes when we talk about curriculum and teaching it's really focused on what is the students going to do I think for me really taking away from is how to facilitate conversation with faculty mm-hmm. especially the rethinking of the ways in which we teach and teach in higher education, especially as it relates to student affairs, as it relates to ACPA, um, because we're all, all these organizations, ACPA, NASPA, ASH, is having the same conversations about mm-hmm. program coordinating. We need to change our curriculum. We got to be all these things. Um, but I feel like one of the conversations that brought to light in this institute for me is that what we're not doing is really having a faculty conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to be student-centered without really dealing with or engaging with the folks that become the vehicle in which this happens, the thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, how important it is not to think about the imperative just for students, but what does that look like for curriculum building? What does that look like for faculty um, togetherness? Because I think at this point, in, especially in student affairs higher ed, we can no longer be in silos. Um, we can't see, teach student development the way we've always taught it, right? Um, because there's outcomes to enrollment and all the other things and that we're all stressed out about that we can't, the joy of sitting with learning, mm-hmm. um, 
was taken away because we have to do all these things, but how do we integrate that? And so for me, um, trying to not shy away from having conversations with faculty um, and my colleagues will tell you, I'm pretty good at being like, that's not our focus. Let's get back to it. Um, <laughs> that's great. We'll note that for next. <laughs> um, but, but again, it's one of those things of how to, how to really engage faculty without feeling that you're impending on their freedom of speech or their freedom, mm -hmm. academic freedom or challenging their expertise, but knowing that we have had a time right now that we have to be a collective as a faculty mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and have yeah, real conversations part. about curriculum and how uh, racial equity and decolonization goes through our um, curriculum. So that's what I took away from this. Yeah, I'm really struck with the notion of, uh, and I've heard this in, from many of you in different ways, about faculty breaking free of being the knowers and the authority and in charge and having all the answers and getting into the space of being learners, engaging with each other, unlearning some things. I mean, you know, faculty passed down intentionally and unintentionally what we, what, what faculty, how we were taught and how we were managed and how the classroom was organized and the assignments we got. Um, and sometimes it was really great and, and sometimes not so much. So just this, um, what don't I know? What do I have to learn? How can I be a community with each other? How can I do some of that uh, is really striking to me. Yeah. Uh, Q, do you want to jump in here? What are you taking away? Yeah, some of the things that I, I, one of the things I will say when I first came into the mix of the group, I think one, because I was, you know, I, I'm an early career faculty member, so really, fairly younger in my career, I kind of felt like Michelle from Destiny's Child, like when she's coming into an established group. Like mm. y'all are folks who are like super established faculty and done phenomenal work in teaching. And some ways I was like, what, what is what is my space kind of what is my groove into this this moment with my, with my colleagues and some of the things I think that I've been learning throughout the process is that early career faculty also are folks who are engaging and learning and learning by like doing things in their earlier moments mm -hmm. um, or just kind of in the beginning and and for me I, I felt very much felt a part of the group I felt in the community I felt love from folks um I, it wasn't like oh like you know oh you're just kind of early on you don't really know anything but it was more so what are what we really freedom dream with each other and we really yeah. curriculum dreamed with each other that I felt like it, it it felt to me uh like I didn't have to be anybody else other than myself with these folks and I think even throughout the faculty even throughout the institute I felt that way when engaging with folks there um I teach at a teaching institution and I'm currently teaching two summer courses and I've taught about eight courses this you know this year and I actually am going to be teaching a course on teaching and learning in the fall and that really came out of the love from this institute um I got we got asked if someone was interested in teaching the teaching and learning class and I was and I was like wow I really want to really really get into this teaching and learning scholarship and really help other um other practitioners other scholars other educators um really do this work and I think for me as a Black queer faculty member, I really try to center my identities in the classroom and the ways of how I teach. And from learning throughout this process, it made me believe that I don't have to hide different parts of who I am in the classroom when I work with my students or the ways of how I create curriculum, the ways I create assignments. Um, and, and I think from the connections with, with these folks here in the space, um, it made me believe that you can do this work for many of times in different ways and it's okay if you you know mess up or things that you you kind of really have this space to um just exist in the classroom and i think that mm -hmm. sometimes as a faculty member 
we tend to think about so many things. It's about performance. A lot of it is we're evaluating on performing um, as faculty. And, and for me, I had to think about, let me take that veil off um, and really show myself um, in those moments, not only with my students, but also when am I learning from myself each of, um, throughout the, those spaces. So those are things that I'm taking from, uh, from mm -hmm. this process. I love it. I mean, we, we've, we've centered love. We've got talked about the Camino and we got a Destiny Child reference. We're off to, we're doing great, folks. <laughs> We're doing great. Um, I just wanted to jump early quickly and say, one, I, I'm so thankful, again, that the Institute has brought me in community with these amazing folks. Something else that came up, I think, during the Institute that we as faculty need to continue to wrestle with is how we understand what colonization is and decolonization. Yes. Like those yes. are terms yes. that I would say even we as faculty were thinking about. And we know within higher education in particular, we throw this term around very loosely mm -hmm. um, to mean something, right? Whatever it is, we're not really sure on. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things that was offered during the Institute is that higher education itself is a, clon a colonial project, right? So that, yeah. you know, Harvard University um, or Harvard College was founded um, to colonize, to, you know, to help with the colonization of this land. And so thinking about the very um, institutions that we work in as colonial projects really, um, I think, is an important starting place when we think about what does this mean moving forward, that it's still happening. It's not a historical thing only. It's that it's still currently happening. And what does that mean? for us that study this field, if we approach it with that lens. And then what does that mean for the way that we teach, right? So you mentioned earlier, like sometimes um, we, we teach how we were taught, right? And a lot of us weren't taught how to teach, right? We just know that we know how to do research because we have doctorates, mm -hmm. but that teaching is not um, always emphasized depending on your experience as a, doc as a doctoral student. Mm -hmm. So thinking about that adds another layer to the type of work that we're doing. Um, and I also felt like when we were initially talking about this too, I was like, wow, this seems like a lot of time. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need more time, <laughs> yes. right? There was so yes, much we more did. that we could have gone through because people had such great questions yeah. and people are coming at it from so many different experiences. And so thinking about future um, institutes, I do think those are some things that we would like to delve into a lot more is what is colonization, decolonization? What does it mean for the work that we're doing? And also there are some... I guess, technical things about teaching that we need to review and also how that's different from facilitation, which I think a lot of us who started up as student affairs practitioners, like we did facilitate, we do facilitation all the time, but that is different from actually teaching concepts and theories and ideas and things like that. And so how do we help people understand that? Um, so yeah, I just want to say there's yeah. It was packed, but it's like, oh my gosh, we could have yeah. been here for a couple more days because there was just so much to, to uncover. So I really appreciate you bringing that in because I think it is something that sometimes just gets kind of lumped in and there's just another racial justice and decolonization without mm -hmm. unpacking that and separate that and really examining that. And I love you bringing in the history of institutions of structures. I'm a, I'm reminding folks, when, particularly when I'm focused on the learning beyond the classroom, mm -hmm. um, how mm -hmm. have our understandings uh been rooted in in colonization of of what is learning mm -hmm. uh, what is knowledge mm -hmm. what is education mm -hmm. uh, what is teaching and and what uh when we hear those words what does that evoke in us and for for all of us probably some similar things and probably some really different things and just to pause and say what 
what have what have I <laughs> learned? Mm -hmm. uh, what have I internalized? That is really from uh, a whiteness perspective, from a colonialist perspective, from a dominant Western culture perspective, and to not feel bad about that, but to recognize and be conscious and be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then how do I want to undo that? How do I want to explore that? I think it's it's just, um, it's hard, but it's so rich. And I think, uh, I think you, you said freedom dreaming. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That sounds yeah. great. And, and, and I think, I mean, I think freedom dreaming, I, I think in a lot of ways, feels uh from a sense of like hope but insightful like being insightful and also really wanting to critically engage in that work but i, I think freedom dreaming I, I think in a lot of ways particularly for you know particularly for black folks um black folks from minoritized identities that that usually keeps us going in the work and and, and i think i think as faculty we tend to um think about the work that we do with our students but that also is freedom dreaming like we're literally dreaming about what classrooms look like even after our students leave the classroom. We're thinking about mm -hmm. it each week um, and each semester and each year. And my hope is that folks will use the this imperative as a way to freedom dream, particularly within their within their ways of how they do curriculum, how to way they do pedagogy, how to way they do different practices, particularly in the, and particularly for them as faculty and as educators. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think a lot of times our our uh, equity work gets rooted in what we, we don't want, right? Anti this, against that. We want to stop that. We want to end that. Yeah. And that's super, that anti-oppression is so so critical. And what does liberation look like? And, and I've never heard that term freedom dreaming. I love it. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, well, we've, we've got a bit of time here. So I want to move us to our, our last question and give you a little bit of space to uh, maybe freedom dream. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, the podcast is called Student Affairs Now, and love to hear from each of you what you're, what you're thinking, what you're troubling, what you're pondering, can be related to the Institute, can be related to our conversation today, can be related to, uh, you know, the world or what, what you're thinking about as we're in this uh, summertime gearing up for uh, fall courses and all the other things going on. And if you also want to share where folks can connect with you, uh, that would be great. Um, Rick, uh, we haven't heard from you in a bit. So why don't you kick us off? What is, what is with you uh, now? Okay. Well, first I'll, I'll mention how um, viewers can connect with me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ricardo, parentheses, Rick Montalongo. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, you can find information, especially about my many areas that interest me in higher ed. But I also have a personal website, um, Rick Montalongo, um, all one word dot com. Um, it's, I need to update it, but um, I do plan to use that space to address your first question. Mm -hmm. uh, I would add a word just for me personally. Uh, I'm wandering. And obviously it connects to my Camino experience, my recent um, meaning making journey that I took. And, and I am trying to use that experience to help me understand where higher ed, higher education student affairs is at the moment. Because, you know, I understand a lot of the difficulties, the challenges that we're going through, but people that know me, people that are, uh, even my students in my classrooms and especially my friends, 
uh, I'm a very critical scholar, but I'm also a very hopeful, optimistic scholar. Because if we lose the optimism, if we lose the hope, um, they win when you think about it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm always in a space of what can we do further? And so I use I, I intentionally used the word wandering because that's exactly what I did for a full month in Europe. Um, and when I wandered, I felt like I learned. And, and I want to continue to explore that and how I can uh, learn more about higher ed and transforming higher ed uh, through the process of the many things that I'm still processing um, from my meaning making experience. And, and, you know, mine was the Camino, but there are other meaning making experiences that are out there. You don't have to go across the pond or the seas to do something like this. And I think I want to explore that. I want to explore, or I want to discuss that with my students. Like what, what can, what, is there something similar that you can do that I did that can have just as much impact. Uh, it could be visiting your mom <laughs> or mm -hmm. you know a loved one. Uh, I don't know. I want to keep exploring those questions and and wander a bit. I mm. love it. Wandering as pedagogy. That's your next podcast. That's your next podcast. I would I love, love to it. visit with you about wandering as pedagogy. Sounds like. Uh, Sounds to me, Rick, like that's a that's well, a, an idea you're excited about, and you, you I look forward to you really. Well, I, I will give a quick. I will give a quick shout out. I mean, uh, since you want, since you used the word pedagogy, and obviously this is in the lens of that, uh, I do want to make a shout out to. Uh, there's a wonderful institute, um, the uh, Pilgrimage Studies at William and Mary, and one of the faculty mm. members there, Dr. Ben Boone, was my informal advisor when I was on the Camino, and so there is a there is a there is study on that. Dr. Ben Boone, um, shout out to you, my good friend, my fellow Peregrino. Um, he did, he has written a dissertation and other articles about that. And so, yes, I want to learn from him and, and continue that discussion uh, using something like this. Great. And we'll get some links in the show notes uh, for folks who yeah. want to learn more. That would, that would be great. Uh, thank you. Uh, Layla. What yeah. are you, what's with you now? <laughs> so many things, um, yeah. but I'll start too with where folks can find me. I'm Hey Dr. Layla on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, if you want to continue the conversation. Um, I am thinking more so about how do we expand the conversation around, um, particularly the scholarship of teaching and learning. We know that higher education student affairs is a low consensus field, meaning that, you know, people teach introduction to student affairs a million different ways. People teach history a million different ways. People say, I, you know, I joke that, you know, at some schools or some programs, the law class is very legalistic and sometimes it's just don't get fired, right? And so just having so many conversations around what do we want the future of this profession to look like and how can we freedom dream, as um, Summerline says, together, about what are the things we want to keep, what are the things we want to get rid of. And I think we're really at a at a critical point. I'm thinking, you know, ACPA turns 100 years old next year. So there's a there's the opportunity is ripe for us to start thinking about, okay, we've been doing these things. We could fill a whole library. Some of us have written um, entire lit reviews on what has and what hasn't worked. And so, okay, 
where do we go from there? How do we move these ideas from these journals, from these books into practice um, in ways that recognize the full humanity of everyone um, who wants to pursue post-secondary education in the U.S. and around the, around the world? But we, we have to start asking different questions. And I keep bringing this back to my classrooms um, where I ask, you know, each week there's a big question that's supposed to kind of guide our thinking about a topic. But I'm also like, we need to start asking different questions, mm-hmm. right? So I often give the analogy as a hurdle, track and field hurdle analogy of within higher education, you know, we line up these hurdles for students. And instead of removing the hurdles, we just give them better uniforms and shoes through which to jump over the hurdles. And so if we ask different questions, the questions are going to be, you know, why are these hurdles there? Why is our solution just to give them better things to jump over them versus looking at the the maintenance? Who keeps painting these hurdles every year? (laughs) Who keeps making sure that they're sturdy in the ground every year, right? So those are just, you know, we need to think differently. Um, Another example I'll give quickly is just, you know, ungrading, which I think is taking off in, in lots of different ways. And I say, well, Ungrading has limitations because the rest of the institution uses grades to keep folks out of opportunities, right? And so how do we move it beyond my individual classroom to these larger structures and systems? So I'm troubling so much right now, but also trying to get our colleagues in a larger conversation about, okay, what's next, right? Like we did this great institute, but our classrooms can't continue doing the same things that they've been doing. And then we're surprised when people say, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, you know, this field isn't great. I think student affairs is an amazing field, not just because I'm a faculty member (laughs) in a program, but I believe in the transfer, the transfer, transfer, transformative nature of our work, Mm -hmm. but it can't continue as Erica said earlier to be in silos. We got to come together. Um, So that's going to be something I'll be tweeting about for quite some time. (laughs) <laughs> I love you've mentioned this in lots of different ways, the theory to practice and, and how do we make this not just an institute, but also something people are putting into practice in the many ways that they engage as faculty and then helping the students put that into practice, which is, like, as you said, something we always talk about. We don't always do it very well. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we usually don't find out until we get past that graduation and we get that J-O-B and we're like, oh, I was not ready for this. I thought I was. Um, mm-hmm. That's great. Um, Q, what are you, uh, what are you pondering? Yeah. So first thing I will share, like folks where folks can reach me or tweet me, LinkedIn me, email me if you want to reach me. That's a shout out to Kim Possible. Um, but I, I will say, uh, my, uh, you can reach me uh, through Twitter with Dr. Q Hutchings. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn through my name, Courtney Hutchings, uh, PhD, and then my email, um, I can share that as well. Um, but primarily on Twitter is probably the best space to kind of tweet at me. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about, um, one thing what folks may not know about me or probably do, I'm a Pisces. So I tend to just very much sit in my emotions and my feelings and my thoughts. And so as you share with thinking, troubling or pondering, I kept on thinking about reflection and discernment. And I think that's also tied into my work, uh, my work being at a Jesuit institution and been trained at a Jesuit institution for my doctorate. And I tend to reflect and process and reflect and discern a lot. Um, after each of my classes, I actually call my mom. Um, and so shout out to my mom. Love you, mommy. Um, my, my, uh, I, I, I process with 
her very much about my teaching and she's also pursuing her her bachelor's degree as well right now and so yeah. there's been this like very much shared experience about what teaching mm -hmm. and learning is like mm -hmm. um not only through her eyes but also through my eyes as well and through and through our approaches and our lenses and so it's given me some space to really think deeply about what happens to my students in the classroom even after they leave my class and so I'm continuing to thinking about the reflection of this sermon as I'm going up to third year review. Um, how am I constructing my narrative? How am I actually outlining what those things look like? And it's also giving me some space of thinking, uh, what are things that still need to be done? Um, what are still things that need to be evolved, I, I think, in this work? And so uh, for me, I think I'm in a space of uh, just reflecting on what does it mean to uh, bring your full self um, into the into the classroom, and what does that mean when students are not able to do that, or when I'm not able to do that, um, and so how am I wrestling with those pieces, um, particularly in those ways, and so um, those are things that I'm currently thinking about right now. Wonderful. Well, call call the mom for critical pedagogical reflection. We're getting it all here. Uh, Erica, I love that we're sort of ending with you about what you're troubling, pondering, or thinking now as someone who's part of the planning and instigating, not there, but also there from afar. Um, what, what is with you now? Uh, so you all can find me on Twitter at Dr. E. Rowland. I'm going to be honest right now, only thing I'm tweeting about is WNBA. So go Dallas Wings. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, I think two things that I'm pondering outside of uh, the WNBA season is this idea of, especially around the imperative, how do we move away from competencies and check marks mm -hmm. um, and really sit in learning and how learning can inspire critical thinking? Um, because I think the question I think Layla has posed to us a couple of times of how does our classroom experience match what's happening in student affairs. And I think that's hard to um, that's hard to put it together in the ways in which we've been thinking about it versus how do we help people have space to imagine or freedom dream um, and to develop their critical thinking skills that way, regardless of the situation that they have the capacity um, to engage in some critical thinking uh, around what should be next or making, I always tell my students, like, I want you to be conscious about your bias. <laughs> I want to be, I want you to be conscious about your oppression um, versus it didn't just happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I'm really thinking about how do we, how do we situate learning and critical thinking and less about competencies and job satisfaction or job equipment. Um, but really that higher ed right now needs some people to rethink higher ed and to, be able to critically think. I mean, but I, I also think that's kind of society big. Um, we are we are docile bodies. Um, and so how do we create spaces? There's no way for us to, to have change, no matter how many institutes we have, when we have people that are just willing to kind of check the box and, and do what they're told. Um, and a few get it to the top to make decisions. So for me, I've been thinking a lot about that. And then the last one, because we're at the end of the summer, I think Q talked about bringing your whole self to the um, to your teaching and keep thinking about what does rest look like? Y'all, I am tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Like tired, tired. Um, and tired physically, emotionally, and mentally around what's happening um, in our political landscape, um, where that situates me as a Black woman. Mm -hmm. But also our students are tired. Mm -hmm. um, and in mm -hmm. 
me how lack of coping or resources they have even as higher ed professionals. Um, and so I've been really thinking about what does rest look like and how do we how do we pause the checking of like you need to learn this or you need to have this competency versus how do we just be and rest for a second? Um, and so yeah, those are the things that I'm pondering um around just kind of a different way of how do we move forward um and what that's what are those skills that we need to move forward versus kind of what is the field and competencies that we can check off to say that we're valuable? We, we just have a couple of minutes. I can't help it though. Say more about docile bodies. Um, this is I, 30 seconds. Just give us, you got yeah. more. I know you got two hours, but just say a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but just, I, I think the idea of just taking in whatever there is, right? Um, just not uncritically just accepting. Like we have all the information around um, and it's kind of like, I don't want to make wave. I don't want resistance. Therefore, I'm just going to do what I'm told, or I'm just not going to question that. Um, and try to move towards kind of what bell hooks is saying is a critical spectator is that not everything and anything can enter my mind and I just take it right. That, that pushback, um, that critical thinking, asking those questions, um, and really it's just about power and control. Um, so yeah. Thank you. I, we got Bell Hooks Critical Spectator in there. I'm so glad we did that. Thank you all so much for, for joining us. I know you've spent a lot of time planning. I know you spent a lot of time being at the Institute. And thank you so much for generously giving a little bit more time to talk about it and share it with others. I'm really appreciative uh, to each of you for your leadership, your scholarship, and your time to share. And our colleague who couldn't be with us, Dr. Michael Williams, who is here in spirit but not here on the Zoom. Thanks also to our sponsor of today's episode, Simplicity. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. A huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us all look and sound good. And we love the support for these conversations from our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to the podcast on YouTube, on wherever you get your podcast, and joining our weekly newsletter where we share each week's new episode. If you're so inclined, you can also leave us a five-star review. Keith Edwards, thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all. <laughs>